Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, a.k.a. the Red Shirt King, and welcome to yet another very special edition of the Guess the Lines Unicorn Challenge podcast. We took a day to digest the series between KT Rolster and Koo Tigers that we saw yesterday because there was, there was a lot of things one could say about that series. And I am joined by my good friend, Walter Fedchuk. Walter, when you think about this series, what's the first word that comes to mind for you? Same old KT? <laughs> Not one word, but fair. I will take it. <laughs> we will accept that one. Disappointment. Let's make it disappointment. Yeah. I was going to say disappointing, too. And Disappointing uh, Monty. It's – I think a lot of people – it would be hard not to be disappointed by this series if only because the way that KT lost in four games was something that – you know, we talked about the day before. We didn't even think it made sense that Ku was going to be able to take three games in the series if, if KT played their best. And the way that they lost was was baffling even to the worst-case scenario that we could have built up for them. Was there any one thing in particular that really stood out that you think led most to uh, their defeat here in this series? Smeb was a better top laner than someday to that day, yesterday. Mm. Smeb was just a better top laner. As, as like ridiculous as that seems, score got someday ahead in every single game. Every single game, he got him ahead. And Smeb somehow turned it around, and he played Fiora all four games. All four games, he played Fiora, and uh, someday played Darius twice, Renekton once, and Malphite once. Mm-hmm. And somehow Smeb was just able to... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, counteract? Disable? Let's go disable. Mm-hmm. Uh KT's biggest weapon, which was Someday, and the fact that Someday was, you know, arguably the best top player in the world, after that performance, eh, man, I can't believe Smeb is, wasn't in that conversation, you know? Uh, well, that's the thing. I, I don't know if I think that either of these guys are now in that. Like, now I think it's Marin's race to lose, and Huni can play for, for second amongst the Someday Smeb crowd. Like, or, you know, with, with Acorn back when he wasn't terrible at World Championship, or you know, maybe some of these other Chinese top laners that underperformed here. I don't, I don't know how you look at that top lane matchup and say it lived to anyone's real ideal. It's not like Smeb played particularly well. One of the things he's supposed to be, you know, pretty decent at is the laning phase. He lost lane every game, which, you know, you can do as a Fiora and make up for it. I get that. But he didn't play his way back in. Someday played his way out. Someday was constantly overextending. That's, that's what really killed him here is that he would take these, this kill, two kills, sometimes even three kills that score would hand him in the mm-hmm. early game. And then he would try to be this over-the-top lane bully. It's like he bought into this hype that he was yeah. the best top laner in the world. He felt like he could do anything. And mm-hmm. he would just overextend and overextend. And then the, the counter ganks would come in and he would get killed. And Smeb would suddenly get all these resources. But I never... There wasn't really a moment in that game where I looked and said, wow, Smeb is this incredible outplaying thing. Maybe the riposte on the ultimate, but you kind of have to expect that. The one I think happened in, uh, in game three. Yeah. You would imagine that if you're a, a decent – Oh, game four, excuse me. Game four, you, yeah. You would imagine that if you're a half-decent Fiora player, you, you know to make that play against Adarius. You've played that matchup enough times in this particular meta. 
But the Darius should have seen that coming, and he didn't. And he didn't because he wasn't thinking about it. And I don't have an explanation for that. I don't – you know, this this was a weird series all around. But we got to go back to game one to really trace how this happens because this was this was the game that KT managed to pull out and the only game that KT managed to pull out. And it was a game that made you and I – we had very strong reactions after this one. What were we seeing from Koo here that gave us such cause for concern for the rest of the series? Um, I don't think I was necessarily concerned because I thought Koo was going to lose the series anyways. I thought the, the Vagar and Ash picks were very, unu- uh, were very unusual for Koo. I guess Ash not so much for Prey, but mm-hmm. the fact that they weren't chaining the CCs together, chaining the, the Vagar uh, Event Horizon with the Ash Arrow very mm-hmm. consistently, it seemed like they were using one or the other to engage... Like, They'd use one to disengage something 10 seconds before they'd use the other to actually engage a team fight. Like, it was very weird. They were, they were trying to play this very, like, kitey, you know, composition. And it didn't, like, it didn't work out very well. Which, at the end of the day, is, I think, why they lost. I think the, the LeBlanc game from Nagne was what we expected him to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually really, su- really surprised that over the course of the series, he only went back to uh, LeBlanc once. And he lost again. It was a, against uh, against Vigar, and I wouldn't say he's the reason they lost game two at all. Yeah, no, I, I think that's entirely fair. I actually I had a, a very nice conversation with uh, with a couple of our Twitter followers. Um, uh, Ashes Godlike is the one that came up to me, uh, came out, uh, stood out to me specifically, I should say, in that when we were looking at why this Vigar wasn't working in game one, it was his misuse of the event horizons. They were entirely off and it's you know it just the timing was wrong the placement was wrong there was one i i I think i remember one of the casters saying something like i don't know what he was trying to do with that one which was one of my favorite moments in that whole game one cast which was weird because he's such a good victor player and it's another one of those examples that uh emily rand likes to bring up all the time about how kuro isn't necessarily always good at the champions that he should be good at like you would think vigar victor and Azir, all, you know, zone control mages that, you know, have some pretty nice safe uh, safety in their kit and everything else. And he can play one of those really well, mm-hmm. and one of those okay, and one of those not so great. And it's really weird, because all three of them you would think would be in a skill set, but that's, that's just not how Kuro works, which right. is endlessly entertaining. But, yeah, it, I, I think this to, – to, I think the thing we said in the Skype chat was that we didn't think who could play from behind. That's what yes. this game felt like. Yes. They were making really weird engages. And I guess you you look at game two, what changed? Because this was another game in which KT was ahead early, and now Ku suddenly found a way to play from behind that they didn't in game one with a pretty similar lineup. I I think it was just they figured out how to finally play with the Vagar, and they were behind, but they were behind objectively. They were behind uh, by mainly by towers. Uh, they finally pull the game back when they get Baron at the uh, 29 minute mark, and at that point they had been behind three dragons and four towers. They didn't get their first tower of the game until uh, just around the 22 minute mark, and they got a double kill. Uh, or they got two kills with with Elise and, and Fiora there, and that was their first tower. At that point, 
uh, KT already had three towers and two dragons. Uh, kills wise, they were just they you know they're almost dead even. And at that point, they're uh, you know four K gold behind when they get their first tower. And then within four minutes, they get four you know they get uh, you know three more towers. Mm-hmm. And then they get the Baron at the twenty nine minute mark. And then that's when they pull the game back and and they turn it around. So. I think it was just they weren't playing around objectives very well. They were playing very well in this kind of, uh, you know, farm, you know, slow farm, uh, you know, play safe, don't don't get caught out kind of composition. And then when they had the chance to actually go out and try and make some plays, they were able to capitalize on the fact that they had all this gold still sitting on the map. Yeah, I, to some extent, I think that's fair. I, I guess to me. It really felt like KT blew this almost as much as Ku fought their way back. You look at the 17-minute mark, and Ku has that double teleport bot lane, accomplishing nothing, giving up their own mid-tower. That was <laughs> when I, you know, I was like, okay, game's over. I think I even tweeted something to like, like, this team just cannot figure out how to play around these objectives. But what got this back, it wasn't necessarily some of the towers, so that did help. Uh, it, you know, KT grabs his third dragon, they go back to base, they're, they're kind of trying to get wards around Baron and, and protect that, and someday is completely out of position. Ku mm-hmm. jumps on him, and KT completely overreacts trying to save him. And that led to the Ku Baron that ended up pushing all these towers, getting these objectives, and putting them hugely in the lead, as you pointed out. It was this idea that, you know, without someday... There was nothing they could do, and that's just not how the game had gone at this point. You know, Smeb mm-hmm. had gotten a couple solo kills onto Sunday, even after, um, you know, Sunday had gotten greedy uh, after getting a couple kills early, and, and Smeb had fought his way back. He was doing fine. Sunday was not the only guy in this game who had done well for himself, mm-hmm. and the fact that they played that way really goes to show a lack of faith in the rest of this lineup. And because now three guys were down instead of just one, well, now, of course, Ku's going to get the Baron. Now, of yeah. course, Score, you know, has to make this kind of miracle Baron attempt, which he doesn't do because, you know, it, it's, it was going to be very difficult against a composition, uh, you know, that has, you know, what Ku had an offer there. Just too many ways of stunning him and pulling him out of that fight. And, and now Ku has Baron. And now they get all the towers that they didn't have before. And now they just win the game. I, it was very weird to me as, as someone that was expecting this team, this KT team, to make use of one of the better shot callers in the game. Mm-hmm. That call to protect someday cost them the game. And it's not the first time that a call they made is going to cost them a game in the series. No, I, I would completely agree. I would say it's really unusual that they were so entirely, like, someday you know, protect someday, get someday ahead focused when Arrow was having a, a tremendous tournament. Yeah. I thought Arrow had been playing very, very well. And even these, you know, first couple of games, the Callista, he played very well. He was 3-0 and 5 and, mm-hmm. you know, was was dominating uh, dominating these kind of team fights. His Jinx was very good in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember if it was this game or if it was game four, but I just remember there was a moment where... Uh, uh, KT sets up this this Gragas alt back. He alts uh, one of the enemy enemy champions into Chompers. Mm-hmm. Like Arrow sets Chompers up behind them, and then Score just alts them, and they land in Chompers. Like just yeah. 
kind of a phenomenal play and, and shows the versatility of, of both of those champions together and just shows the trust that they have each other. I think it was actually game four. Um, but at the end of the day, like they, they didn't, they didn't trust an arrow. They didn't trust a Nogne to carry. And you can see in game three, they move away from, you know, they kind of get baited into having to take this Lulu, yeah. uh, by coup, which guys, you really need to start, especially in these four, especially with these four teams, you really need to try and bait your enemy team into taking Lulu and, uh, disabling their ability, their, their, their mid laner or their top laner and forcing them on to play that champion. Like, I think that's going to be very huge uh, going into the semifinals. Yeah, that's the thing we're, we're learning about Lulu right now, is that she's a very nice pick, and there are people that can play her very well. But she is not, you know, some assassin that's going to snowball a game in a meta that has allowed snowballs to work out time and time again. I would say the bigger thing here was, you know, not banning the Elise when it was clear that the Lulu ban might be let through, because... Who won all three games they had at least in the series? Yes. Uh, that was the one champion who I think Hojin really showed a dominant performance on. But both here and overall in the group stage, I felt like he looked better on Elise than just about anything other than his Lee Sin, which is always going to be a thing for him. But, I mean, his Elise was a huge, huge part. Uh, you know, 2-0 and in the group stage when he played that champion with a 23 KDA. You knew his Elise was really good. Why are you letting him get it on red side? There's no reason for that. You've got three bands to play with. And I understand you're terrified of the Tom Kench because Tom Kench is admittedly terrifying. I think he showed that a little bit in, uh, in the way that game one almost turned around in Ku's favor uh, off of some of those Tom Kench plays. But it, it just it, – it set up the game to go exactly the way Ku wanted it to go. Ku, you know, someday gets a couple kills early. Then – you know, the Romes come back and it works out all right for, for Koo. And then suddenly, you know, this, this game was a, was a much lower kill game. But when the fights finally came down, it, it didn't feel like it really mattered who won or lost. Koo had map control regardless. Mm-hmm. I mean, c- can you talk a little bit about how this, this Ash pick, I, I think more than anything, was able to create these zones around objectives that the other team just didn't feel comfortable with? I... <sighs> I just don't think that KT Rolster played effectively with their composition. Mm. They were talking about at the point, oh, you have the Malphite ultimate, and then you also have another Malphite ultimate using Callista, the Callista slingshot, and then you have another Malphite ultimate with Alistar headbutt, and then you have another you know Malphite ultimate basically with Lulu. Like, I just think they were playing really, really scared and never wanted to engage into uh, into the into the composition of of Koo. Mm-hmm. I think KT Rolster was just scared the entire time and and kind of wussed out. They didn't want to play, they didn't want to play and didn't want to uh, risk losing this game by engaging and having you know some sort of uh, you know something go wrong. And at the end of the day, that's you know what happened by not engaging was that you allowed this really kite heavy composition to just uh, this kite and poke composition to basically poke you off of objectives and take them uncontested. I really didn't understand. I get the Vigar was kind of scary in the second game, but was Kennen and Vegar really worth the bans? Like, I don't think so. Yeah, it, it's it's weird. I, I was going to say, this is this is the one game that didn't follow the formula, but in the worst kind of way. This was, this was when you and I were starting to Skype ourselves, like, please don't tell me this goes to five games. 
Mm-hmm. Like, like, I don't want to watch any more of this because KT at that point was playing not to lose. Right. And, and, and yes, I understand that whole someday getting kills, then blowing it, then back and forth, like all this stuff. That, that wasn't going to go KT's way after game, t- you know, game two kind of proved that Koo figured that out. But you're never going to win if your only win condition is we never fight. Because believe it or not, there are some objectives you just have to fight around. And outside of that one fight in the river near Baron that got a 3-0 KT victory because just the, the perfect Malphite ult landed and then all, you know, all these things worked once. One time. Every other fight from that point forward was Koo's to win. And they just kept giving up objective after objective after objective. Then Koo catches out the KT bot lane when they're overextending. And then another objective, another objective. The big fight at the 27-minute mark that just allows them to grab that Baron. And now, you know, some days overextended in the bot lane. And, and it just, it just, game was over. They'd never fought for any of the things that led up to the, you know, to these objectives coming down. So once the Baron was in, they had no power or any any real place they could look to get some sort of advantage back. And the game just ended. It ended really unceremoniously. It was... It's one of those things where it's like nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened game, which I've just I've never seen something like that. Before. The the Malphite and Lulu hampered mm-hmm. what KT Rolster had done for the rest of the, like, the entire other course of the tournament. Malphite is not a hard carry top lane champion. He, he's not. Granted, his ultimate can, you know, strongly impact fights and he can get a bunch of kills in team fights. But, you know, Malphite is not this, you know, I'm going to 1v1 any other top laner and, you know, get ahead and, and you know, be this unstoppable monster, uh, this unstoppable force, so to speak. Ha ha ha. Which really, when you take the Lulu, I'm very surprised that they didn't default into kind of an Olaf comp mm. and again, try and revolve around someday. Like the second they went to Malphite was KT Rolster going, we have no more faith in someday to carry us in this. And it was very, you know, it was very obvious. They tried to play this composition around a Kalista, but Lulu isn't really that, like, there's a very large disconnect between having a Lulu and having a Kalista. Like, they almost just picked the Kalista so Ku couldn't have Kalista, and then had to build this composition around two parts that really don't go together. Here's my question. Why not Kogma? KT, you guys are one of the best Juggermaw executors in the entire game. Kogma is available. Arrow's been destroying people on it. Why in the world did you not pick Kogma? That's what I was just saying. I I just think that they were picking Callista away from Prey because they didn't want them to have Callista. But so what? Prey is one of the best Ash players in the world. I don't think that's enough. Like, I don't think, like, sure, okay, you, you, you prevented his Callista, but you still have to deal with his Ash, and his Ash is still really, really good. This yeah. is why you don't really put a lot of bands into the AD carry position. Chances are every AD carry at this level can play two or three champions at that highest level because otherwise, how would you be an AD carry at this point mm-hmm. in the tournament? You just, you have to assume you're not going to win that kind of battle. They just, it, they mind game themselves. I don't, you know, this was, this was such a great opportunity to play to their strengths, build the Juggermaw, and say, Koo, you have to beat us early, you have to force these fights, and we're going to play the defensive style that got us here. And they abandoned all of it. And that, that to me, was the sign that this series was going to go Koo's favor. That was when it finally sunk in that yes. KT wasn't going to win the series. And then, and then Game 4 happens. And there's, there's one moment in Game 4 I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
as, as you could imagine. But I want I, I want to hear what you thought up until that 27-minute mark. When you're watching this game and the back and forth, I mean, did you feel like KT was in this? Or did you feel that KT was kind of trying to hold on uh, up until that point of the game? Oh, they were trying to hold on. They were, they were just, again, it, it's kind of the same story over the rest of the tournament. They had, you know, gotten all these objectives, and, and Koo is very late to getting, you know, certain objectives. Remember, the first dragon in this game wasn't taken until the 22-minute mark. Mm-hmm. And that that Baron fight, they... I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know what... I don't know why on earth, when you're having such a problem... In team fights, and when you don't have a very good team fight composition, when you're uh, you're very like siege heavy, why you would even try and go to Baron? I'm gonna I'm gonna make the mark ahead of time because I need to use my sensor here. That was the f-ing dumbest thing I've ever seen in this tournament. <laughs> that was the worst call I have seen a team that is supposed to be a good team make in this tournament. I have no idea what the goal was there. You killed one guy. It's a 4v5. You're now tanking all of this Baron stuff. You didn't even wait. Like, it took so much time for you to get down the Baron that Kuro was able to teleport back into the fight, which was the whole reason that you even thought you could possibly pull this off. How do you not peel away 20 seconds in? Like, once you realize, oh, we're not strong enough yet, peel away and get literally anything else. Like, there was, you know, a dragon was about to come up. There were so many other towers that still needed to fall for KT. And, and instead, you lose Baron and Dragon. And you lost game. Like, that yeah. Baron was game because that was the inner tower uh, on, on top lane. That was the inner tower on bot lane. That was, you know, the inhi- inhibitor. The inhibitors go down immediately after. It was done. It was, I mean, it was absolutely, the, there was no coming back from that. And I understand that it took another Baron to get there, but that was semantics at that point. Like, Koo was so far ahead in gold after all of these pushes, after getting all these dragons and everything else. There was nothing. Like, KT couldn't even contest the Baron. It was an uncontested Baron the second time around. And then it was just, which also made no sense because you have to realize that if you give up that Baron, you lose game, given that you already have two inhibitors down. But whatever. I mean, it's... It was just some of the worst shot calling I've ever seen a high-quality team make. And that, to me, is the sign of both desperation and just a complete lack of faith in what got them here in the first place. Like, this is what isolates the good teams from the great ones. The good te- <laughs> It's easy to win games against teams you're better than when everything's working right. But a great team has to find a way to win games when things aren't going the way that, you're, that they're supposed to. When things aren't being executed properly, when you're not getting the fights that you want, when you're not getting the picks that you want, when, when things aren't playing out the way you built it up in your head. And KT just – I mean both of those decisions were essentially throwing in the towel. They were ahead at the 15-minute mark of this game, people. Like that's, that's the crazy thing about this. They were ahead at 15 and lost by 27. And, and it is entirely because of every poor decision they made. Between those two points in time. And, and, and even then, they won a fight at the 16-minute mark. They got another kill at the 18. They were winning. 
They were winning this game, and they just they, threw it away. Yeah, they were they were winning until they lost that Baron at twenty eight minutes. They were they were ahead. They were winning. It was such a dumb call. It was such I, a dumb call. I I think there was a lot of in game uh, shot calling mistakes, and I think out of game, the the pick bans were pretty awful. I think they're the. I don't know. I just think that they got kind of pulled around in pick bans. They were forced to like ban this Vagar. They were forced to ban the Tom Kench. Like, could Pickaboo really not play Tom Kench? Is that is that really what it came down to? Is that Pickaboo was not able to play Tom Kench, a champion that seems to be right in his wheelhouse with everything else he played. And not only that, but that we, played we, Alistar. We made that whole uh, rant about how you know if you, at least if you're not going to do that, play the Jana. Because you were one of the best Jana players in the world. He played Thresh against the Tom Kench. What was that about? Why, I, would, why would you do? I just... I, he, I, like, you already beat the, you beat the Tom Kench once. <laughs> they, they won. They won the game that Tom Kench was in. But you were so scared of it over the rest of the, like, the, rest of the series that you had to ban him. Yeah. Like, game four, they got, they got saved by the fact that Koo banned Lulu and Mordekaiser. That was how unafraid of, of KT... Ku was at that point is that they banned Lulu and Mordekaiser on blue side. Well, that's the thing. I think they got a. I think they knew that they were in KT's head at that point. And this is the one thing we didn't talk about yesterday, which people mentioned on Twitter as soon as we didn't talk about it. And, and this is on this is on me. Nofe versus Xandark was the difference of this game. Nofe had Ku ready to play. Nofe had Ku with the great picks and ban strats. Nofe had Ku in a position where they could take advantage of some of these KT deficiencies. KT had no backup plan. I don't know how you get into a best of five against a team that you've already played a best of five in within the last two months, that you've played best of threes in multiple times throughout the season, both with and without Pickaboo. How are you not prepared for this series? They just mentally just looked off. And I, I think you... You know, your point about that game three pick was the best example of it, of just, they got mind-gamed into the Lulu and then got mind-gamed out of the perfect Lulu comp. Yeah. Like, at that point, you just, you're mentally gone. At, at that point, I don't care if Prey is playing Kalista. Like, let Prey play Kalista. Play Arrow's best champion in Kog'Maw. Yeah. Play Jinx. Play, like, <laughs> Kalista is so bad with Lulu. Because Lulu is relying on this, on, on like, crit champions. Lulu is best when she's playing with crit champions because of that extra bo- that the bonus damage you get off the picks. Callista, even though she builds attack speed with through Blade of the Rune King and 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 the uh, Runon's Hurricane, she's getting her damage output because of the rent. Mm-hmm. You have to look at her as she's relying more on her abilities to deal damage than her auto attacks, even though her auto attacks stack up for her abilities. Like you wouldn't really see Lulu with a with a Lucian, would you? Like I, I, I don't would you know. KT might have played that like, I don't know. KT might have considered it at this point. I, yeah. I, I just may, maybe you know, and I'm sure people better known than me, you know, much much more intelligent than me will say, oh, Lulu is absolutely fine with Callista. Blah blah blah. No, they're getting the the Lulu for the mouth because of the mouth fighting and Alistar engage. Whatever. Blah blah blah. That composition just seemed really disjointed. And then in game four, I, I'm not I'm not offended by the Cassiopeia actually. I'm just offended by the the fact that they were so like, you're not gonna ban Lulu, you're not gonna ban Mordekaiser. Instead, you cho- chose Tom Kench and Vagar, which were not champions that you had tremendous problems with. Vagar, fine, 
whatever. But the Tom Kench, I think, was inexcusable to ban. Yeah, it was it was weird. And you know what? I actually liked the Cassiopeia because it felt like, hey, we are appreciating that Nogne is just as capable of carrying a game for us as Sunday. And we're going to let him play a champion where he can do Nogne things. And then they panicked and didn't trust him to do with Nogne things. Yeah. It's like you uh, – uh, it just – it was so frustrating to watch. And, and this is not to take away – from the Q Tigers. There are a lot of, you know, it's very easy to, to look at this and, and look at how much people are, are focusing on KT throwing this series, which mm-hmm. they did for the record. They threw this series yeah. um, and, and forget that Koo still has to pick up the pieces. Koo still has to execute this stuff properly. Koo still has yeah. to have, you know, these great pick and bands because their pick and bands were excellent. They have to understand their comps, which they did very well. They have to execute those comps to the level that you would expect, which they did. You know, Hojin, uh, you know, Hojin did everything you wanted from him from Elise. You know, Sneb yep. with the four games on Fiora, which he had not played up until that point of the tournament. Uh, interesting that he hid that. I don't know if you really need to hide a Fiora in this particular meta, but he did. He got it all four games, and it worked. Uh, Gorilla had some great games. Prey had some great games. All of this stuff is good for Ku Tigers. But they don't win this series if KT Rolster doesn't aggressively lose this series. That's, and, that's the thing. And I think Delier will have Fnatic much better prepared than yes. KT was. I am so interested in that semifinal matchup. Because yes. this is the this is gonna be the example of is European infrastructure at its best really caught up to Korea? Because what we know right now is that Europe is very top-heavy. Fnatic seems to understand how this works. Origin seems to understand how this works because, well, <laughs> guess what? A lot of those guys used to play for Fnatic. <laughs> this, uh, these guys understand the infrastructure, the structure that you need to, to build these kind of, of winning organizations. And this is why I always say, like, if Fnatic's doing it, do it. Like, that's, it is absolutely the correct move. I think more organizations, more Western organizations particularly, need to mimic what Fnatic is doing. But the one thing that Fnatic doesn't have that these Korean organizations do is a league in which everyone else is doing all the smart things that they're doing. You know, even Spenu knows how to keep guys in the house, practicing all the time, getting them good scrim partners, all this stuff. Do you think Giants, like Giants didn't have internet for the first five weeks of their, you know, opening season. Gambit was, you know, didn't have a coach for a couple weeks in there and we're blaming Leviathan for not having internet in the first couple of weeks of the summer split. I mean, they, just the infrastructure difference between these two is huge. And the question for me is, can Fnatic, even in a region that isn't quite there when it comes to Korea, get there on their own because of their own smart decisions? Because if they do, congratulations, rest of the West, you have the blueprint as to what you need to do to be successful. That's This is the ultimate test there. Uh, I, I think in... I think the semifinal series, the the Orient one as well, will be determined by uh, the the coaching staffs, mm-hmm. the analysts, the coaching staffs. How well prepared and what strategies are you going to pull out? Uh, especially with the with the news, and I guess we'll go into that now. That that mm-hmm. Gragas and to a much lesser extent uh, Lux and Ziggs have been globally banned for the remainder of the competition. Uh, this, as many people probably know, this is coming off the back of the bug that happened uh, in game two, uh, the, the, the game before the remake of the Fnatic and EDG series, uh, kind of 
uh, a, a 180 on the stance that Riot took uh, on uh, Saturday that, oh, the bug is not as reproducible, blah, blah, blah. They found out after more investigation into it, it happens a little bit more frequently than we'd like. Uh, and to protect the, the competitive integrity, there's those two words again mm-hmm. of the remainder of the tournament they were going to ban the champion. And doing so after uh, – at the end of the quarterfinals uh, to allow teams a full week to prepare and uh, change their strategies around it. So I, I want to talk first. I agree with the decision. Um, if it does happen you know, more often than they thought, I think it's a, a good idea to uh, ban the champion. It is unfortunate that the champ that Gragas is so integral in what all the all these teams were doing and, mm-hmm. and pretty much a, a the third tier jungler for everyone besides Hojin. Mm-hmm. Um that being said, some people will argue, oh, they should have banned it immediately, but you know, I you gotta give them twenty four hours to at least, you know, really look into really look into the bug and uh, you know, make make a well thought out decision. So I'm I'm actually gonna say good job to Riot on that. Well here's the thing and I and I read uh Kelsey Moser's a brilliant article on it on the score, which if you haven't read yet, you totally should. It was on the front page of Reddit yesterday, but I think it's called uh, Final Call, is it? Um, I, I, I'll have to look up the name while we're talking about this. But this was the, – the problem I have with this Riot decision, Riot knew the bug existed going into this whole tournament. They knew the bug existed because it was on the list of known bugs that they gave out to the players of, hey, these are things that we know exist in our game. And just watch out for them. Which, you know what? I, I get I get that you can't possibly have dealt with every single bug 100% of the way. And that means accepting that sometimes you're going to have to, you know, deal with the fact that there's going to, you know, some bugs are going to happen. You're going to have to have some remakes. You're going to have to have some, some calls made, you know, in that kind of way. That's part of being a digital game. I, I totally, totally get that. However... And this is a big however. If you are going to claim that this bug isn't a big deal, you're going to put it on the list of bugs that we know about but isn't a big deal, it does not take 24 hours to completely reverse your decision. That's not how that works. I'm not a huge coder guy. But if you already knew it was a problem and had already ruled before this tournament that it wasn't a big deal, and then you decide after 24 hours it was a big deal, either no one had spent the time before the tournament to figure out it was a big deal, which is negligent at best, or you just somehow – like it, it didn't recreate itself out of nothing, right? We knew it was there. You just decided to ignore it and hope that it wouldn't happen and hope it would scathe under the radar, which is kind of why I feel like you didn't say anything about it for the last quarterfinals. It really felt like – well, we can't ban it for this last series because that would be throwing it on them at the last minute. So we're going to just say that we had further investigations just you know, on the off chance that it happens again because it looks better to take a proactive stance and say, oh, yeah, it's, you know, we are making sure that this never happens again. I, I just I – don't, I don't buy it. It, it. it doesn't hold up in one of those two ends. Either it's a bigger thing than it, than it was and they should have known before the tournament – or it's not that big of a deal and they're just doing it because it looks better for them to be proactive about finding these bugs and ensuring that this doesn't happen again as more and more people, especially more and more sponsors, watch as the tournament gets to higher and higher levels of importance, which I don't know which of the two it is, but 
I, I just the, the version of the story that they've released has a, a pretty big hole in it to me. Um, it's possible that the when 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 researching what actually happened in that game, and, and let's be honest, they have they absolutely have some sort of vod, they have some sort of keylog uh, of showing what happens. It could be that they found a certain interaction that they hadn't before. Um, I trust me, I'm the one person on the planet who hates giving Riot a benefit of the doubt, and I'm probably the most you know one of the pr- people that argue and will rip apart their mistakes. You know, more likely than not, um, I'm I'm okay with it. The timing, fine, but I think they, they found something new when they investigated the actual occurrence of it happening during the, during the, actual, during the actual game against uh, Edward Gaming. Uh, they probably found something that they hadn't previously and are just taking precautions. I mean, let, like, Gragas was played yesterday without any incident. So to me, it says, you know, how many times does Gragas cast his Q, you know, and how many times is he potentially interrupted by... Uh, an opponent's crowd control. How many times is it that maybe he dashes in between? Like, there's so many possible instances that could, could cause the bug to happen mm-hmm. that, you know, yesterday may not have been enough occurrences of these instances to cause it to happen again. But the fact that it didn't happen yesterday probably tells me that they're just being overly cautious. The last mm-hmm. thing they would want is to have to remake a game in the world champ, you know, in the world championship finals because of a bug that happened in the quarterfinals as well. So well, I say I think they're just erring on the side of caution here. Well, that's what I think it is. I think it, I think it is that kind of PR is my guess. Is that they, <laughs> the ban the, the bug already happened? It's not very likely, but they don't want to have the same bug happen twice. And have people go, oh, look, Riot Spaghetti Code, they couldn't fix their game, blah, 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 blah. So that's, so this is the safest way to go around it. By the way, the article is Unhappy Hour. Uh, yes. It's the one on the score, which you should totally go read. It's really interesting. Uh, it, it's it, Without being behind the scenes, it is impossible to know for sure. I, I, I don't mean to come off as, as harsh as I, I probably <laughs> did just then. It's, it's just for me this understanding of... Riot had weeks, months, in which this particular bug was on their radar. This has been a known bug since at least 514 people can trace it back to. Mm -hmm. So they knew. They knew this was going to happen as we got closer and closer to Worlds. They had a month off with nothing to do but try to isolate and fix the bugs on all of the champions that they knew were going to be the most played champions at Worlds. Gragas is hugely popular. Gragas mm-hmm. is one of the most popular uh, you know, champions in this meta right now because he is the third jungle pick behind Elise and behind Rek'Sai. And Riot knew that, and they had all this time. They had the group stage. They had all these different ways you know, to even come up with a hot fix of some sort. And at the end of the day, their decision was, it, it, it's, it's not a big enough deal for us to deal with it, but it is too big of a deal to let happen again, mm. which is a really weird place to put a bug like this. I, I guess the one thing that I would really worry about is if a player found out how to reproduce the bug, because then you have an instant remake tool if uh, yeah. if you're losing a game or it looks bad before a certain point. Mm-hmm. I think that might be more of the reason. If, if there's something behind the scenes that would excuse you so we don't, just don't know about... It would be that. It would be that a yeah. player 
specifically found out or, you know, it was maybe Riot was working on the computer. Like, oh, yeah, this bug. I think if you do X, Y, and Z. And then they just realized, oh, crap, we told one team how to do this. Mm-hmm. Now we have to, to remove it. And this is these are the kinds of things that I could see in which Riot would be less deserving of some criticism. Yeah. But it's still something that I think Riot really needs to take a look at for next year. Did we really need three different patches between the last big competitive tournament and Worlds? Was were, were three whole patches necessary between those? Because you know, five point fifteen versus five point eighteen are huge changes, and I get that League is a game about adapting. But I'm going to go with Monte Cristo on this and say. Maybe you could have just spent one patch really focused on bugs and all the things that you want to make sure work for competitive and then make your massive juggernaut like, push in like, the offseason. Like they have with every single other tournament? Yeah. Like, I, I've been like, going like, back and looking at, at past worlds and every single world tournament that is – like if you go on Esportspedia and look at every single patch before a worlds, it says world's hotfix patch. It's like world's hotfix patch. Mm-hmm. And it's literally just focused on bugs and minor, minor, uh, you know, number tweaks. There's never ever been a patch before Worlds that is so so drastically changed the game. And in terms of the Gragas thing, I don't think that Riot expected Gragas to be the number three jungler. Like, I don't think they expected it to be as insanely top-heavy as it is in terms of the jungle picks. There are three junglers that have been picked more than fifteen, more than uh, the exact number is. 13? Let me go to Oracle's Elixir for my handy-dandy number. (laughs) Yes. No other jungler has been played more than 14 times. Mm -hmm. Or 15 times. Lee Sin is the next closest, and he has been played 14. Rek'Sai and Gragas have both been in 29 games. uh, Elise has been in 38. Elise has a a 36% ban chance. So in 36% of games, she has been banned. Uh, Rek'Sai is at 27. Lee Sin is then at 15, probably because of, mostly because of Hojin and TBQ. No other jungler is banned more than 10% of the time. Gragas is at 6, Nidalee is at 4, Olaf is at 3. Uh, so these are your three most popular junglers, and I think most people prior to this thought we were going to see a lot more Evelyn, thought we were going to see a lot more Nidalee, thought we were going to see a lot more Lee Sin, um, maybe Echo, but Echo was changed because, uh, you know, has been changed and is not as strong as a tank. So this really puts a huge, huge hamper on one team in particular that is really uh, kind of focused on having Gragas, and and that's going to be Orion. Mm -hmm. Amazing has played Gragas in four four out of a potential ten games. Mm -hmm. And it is by far the champion that he is doing best with with a lower percentage of gold. He only has a 16% gold share on that champion. Uh, when he plays Elise or Rek'Sai, it jumps up to 18%, which two percentage points isn't a ton, but that's taking some gold away from uh, away from Niels and, and Soaz and, and uh, Xpeke. Uh, he has a much higher KDA on Elise and Rek'Sai. He's getting a lot more kills on that champion. So Gragas has been this really good utility champion for them in their kind of global uh, you know, global rotational play comp because he allows them to either engage or disengage. And he hasn't really shown the, the capacity to play anything besides those three champions. He had one game as Evelyn that was really, really lackluster. Yeah, it's, uh, it's rough. I think, uh, I, I think 
there are other things that might cause them to struggle against SKT than just the Gragas ban, but it, it certainly doesn't help. It's a huge, huge hindrance to a team that, you know, really likes this disengaged style, especially because, again, as, as Kelsey Moser pointed out in her excellent article, you know, so much of that team relies on Niels getting the peel that he needs to turn some of these fights around. Mm-hmm. That's that's how this team likes to play, especially in the mid to late game. You don't have that now. Rek'Sai doesn't do that for you, even if you grab it. And Elise is, is still, you know, she gets some engage. You, you can do a couple things with her, but it's really not El- even... Elise will be banned on blue side every single game. Of course it will. And that's and that's kind of the thing is now you're, you're red side. You're like, okay, well, do I, you know, do we even have to ban Rek'Sai here? Like, do we just force both guys on the you know, non-top-tier champions. That's going to be weird if we're at that point. You know, Bengi, I don't think, is going to have a problem because he'll, he'll just play Nunu and laugh. Like, I don't... Oh, God. I don't want the Nunu. I mean... I really don't want the Nunu. I, I think, uh, I think Kel- Kelsey brought up a very good, excellent point. Tom Kent's jungle. I think we'll see Tom Kent's jungle if, if blue team... If blue side isn't going to ban it. I think he becomes a, a much higher priority, not just for support players, but for... Uh, for junglers as well because he's a very very strong jungler yeah it's it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see how all this changes i think we're gonna have to have to do a lot more uh theory crafting when it comes to champions before we make any final decisions on on how this is gonna go i think that at the end of the day it's just one of those things that no matter whether you feel that this is a a huge riot blunder just an unavoidable kind of thing that happens when you're in the world of esports i think we can all agree it's it's a big shame for something this drastic to happen this far into the tournament this is now going to really change the way these teams prep it's yet another thing they have to take into account and we'll have to see uh you know who knows maybe hermit has some amazing plans stored in that magnificent bun that he has going on in uh in his hair right now and uh and has the plan to get amazing back to where he needs to be certainly amazing has played other champions in the past though not necessarily ones that are all that popular now <laughs> volibear uh yeah i was gonna think say jarvin but sure volibear too at least we saw jarvin in this tournament in top one sure, they saw it it's- i don't i don't know how strong jarvin would be in yeah. this meta as a jungler i mean that's that's kind of the problem right but at, at some point once you're at a certain tier of junglers it's like, well, is the comparative power I lose really that much compared to what I gain from having played tons and tons and tons of games on this champion and fair, knowing fair how point. to use it well? I, fair point. As, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see. But that's it for us in this episode. I think uh, we've pretty much wrapped up everything from the quarterfinals. Oh, oh, I almost forgot the Unicorn Challenge. How could I forget, like, the whole reason we do this podcast? Um, I – poor Walter – do you want to explain what happened with your four and a half map bet? I I I screwed up. <laughs> I screwed up. So I I woke up early. Uh, not not. I had trouble sleeping. My my air conditioner wasn't on the right temperature, so I had trouble sleeping. So I woke up at like probably four thirty Pacific time, and the games didn't start till six. So I'm you know just you know tra- you know drinking some water, watching some. Uh, I think Dyrus was streaming, so I was like watching some Dyrus stream, and all of a sudden I remembered I hadn't placed any bets. 
like 10 minutes before the game starts. <laughs> so I hurry over onto Unicorn's site, and because it's so easy to navigate, I just immediately get into KT Rolster's game. And I'm like, all right, I already know what I want to bet on. I want to bet on the KT Rolster uh, minus one and a half handicap. I want to bet on KT winning this, and I want to bet that it's going to be under five games. I accidentally click on over five games because it's on the same side as all the other KT Rolster stuff. <laughs> so even though I was right that it was going to be under five games, I bet on the wrong thing. And this goes to show you, folks, double check your bet before you hit confirm because the last thing you want to do is bet on Orion over SKT. Yeah, it's uh... – <laughs> That's unfortunate for you. I luckily clicked on the right button for the under four and a half maps, which ended up being right for all of the wrong reasons. Uh, <laughs> I also was bold enough to pick KT in map one, which had me feeling really great about all my other picks until the other picks came in. Unfortunately, I bet harder on the KT minus one and a half and the KT just to win it all than you did. So overall, I only decreased the lead by 31 unicorns. But... In other news, I have now gained 31 unicorns on you with three games left to go. It's in play, baby. We got this. Are we going to just, on the finals, do we just bet everything we have? Is that how we're going to end up having to do this? No. No? I might have no. to to come back if I'm behind. I, I mean, you might have to. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe I'll just put 1,000 on SKT to win it and, you know, whatever. <laughs> You you can't you won't make it back. I mean, knowing the the unicorn odds, you'd only get like thirty unicorns out of that. But are you really going to bet on on? I, I are you really going to bet on Fnatic? There might be some handicap odds. I don't. This is the point of this is the beauty of exotic bets. I put everything on like Fnatic plus uh, plus two and a half or something and, and pray. <laughs> and we just go from there. But we're gonna we'll see. we're gonna take a lot of look at all these games. We're gonna look at. You know, how the quarterfinals went, rewatch some film, and we'll come back on Friday at 5 p.m. PST and talk to you guys about the semifinals. We will start with by previewing the SKT Origin Series. It's going to be a lot of fun this next week. Uh, until then, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at RedshirtKing. Walter, where can they find you? You can find me at C80s underscore LOL. Perfect. I'm going to try to get some episodes of the Lesson Legends pod out this week. It all really depends on timing. I can tell you that I will be appearing on the analyst desk for a second time. For those of you who listened last time around, thank you for that. But uh, I will also be on for episode two. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to coming back on, giving some more stats about some of the, the quarterfinals we saw and how all of that comes together. Um, other than that, uh, just keep tuning back in here. Keep enjoying all of the crazy stuff that Unicorn has to offer because it's been so much fun doing this Unicorn Challenge. And until next time, goodbye, Internet. <laughs>